0: Radio. I'm your host, Emma Luzchak. I'm here with special guest, Kevin Boyle. Welcome.
1: Well, thank you for having me today.
0: Now, you didn't start off as an author. So what was your career path to lead you into writing?
1: Okay, um, my career path has been very varied. I went to law school at nighttime. And during law school, I was a high school gym teacher and high school track coach because I went to night school. And I absolutely loved it. I love teaching. Um, and then when I finished law school, I went into the army for 26 years as a lawyer, like the movie, a few good men, but I never demanded the truth or anything like that. So I did that for 26 years. And then when I retired in 2015, um, I had to figure out what I wanted to do. Cause I got bored in two days. I was bored. I was watching Quincy MD on TV land. And I was like, I cannot do this the rest of my life. So I loved teaching and coaching way back when I was in law school. So I was so lucky because at American University in Washington, D.C., my track coach from 1980 at St. John's was now at American University. So I called him and said, Matt, I'd love to go back into teaching and coaching. So he said, come to American. I'll make you a coach. And then a friend of mine who was a lawyer in the Army was a teacher at AU as an adjunct. And he said, hey, can you sometimes substitute for me because I travel a lot? And I said, of course. And then a job opened up as a professor and I started teaching. So it was like the expression, it's not what you know, it's who you know. So I knew the yes. track coach and I knew a professor and I fell into it. So I absolutely loved teaching and coaching. And my coach, who I've known for 40 years, my track coach at St. John's, we were out one night and he said, you know, we have an obligation when we're older to pass on what we know to people. Um, And he said, I've been to the Olympics. I pass on my running knowledge. You're a lawyer, you're passing on your lawyer knowledge. Um, And I I think that's kind of our duty in society is if we know something, we pass it on. So I was going to do a marathon this year. And my nephew said, hey, you should do a Tic Tac video about getting in shape for a marathon. I was like, I don't even know what Tic Tac or Instachat (laughs) is. um, But I do know how to write. So I said, I'll do a book about it. So over the summer, I decided to write a book um, about doing a marathon for the, every decade since the 70s. I decided to write a book about it with tips for people um, who may be interested in fitness, um, not just necessarily the marathon, um, passing on tips and everything I learned from doing things wrong. Um, so I wrote the book over the course of the summer and it just got published.
0: Well, wonderful. Because, okay, one, you said a lot of things. How many things can go wrong when you're training for something, right? Yes. I mean, we all go through it. We go, oh, we're going to go to the gym five nights a week. I haven't been in the gym for 10 years.
1: Yes. Well, (laughs) the thing that happens, especially as we get a little bit older, is life happens, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, there's obviously family obligations and also job obligations. Um, So it's at times you know, especially when I was in the army, because we deploy at no notice and that can interfere with like, if you're training for a marathon and all of a sudden you have to go into the field for a month, that can affect your training. Um, Situations at home. You can also, I mean, during COVID, I'm a teacher, spouse is a teacher. We both had to transition to teaching at home. All that takes um, a lot of extra effort. So it cuts into your time. So it's, as far as a fitness routine, it almost has to become like brushing your teeth, just something you do every day. Um, and you just have to plan for it. You have to make time for it because it's so easy to put off. I, I'll admit it. I put off from around March of 2020 till March of 2021. Fitness was on the back burner as we were dealing with everything else. Um, but then I started to realize as I was getting heavier uh, <laughs> that I need to kind of carve out time. Um, to do it every day.
0: Exactly. We have to, with fitness, you have to take that 30 minutes minimum a day. It doesn't matter where you're carving it out from, but you have to do it for yourself because what do we do do during 2020, but gain weight?
1: Yes. And fitness, um, it's not just about physical fitness, it's your mental health as well. And actually my homework assignment for all my students this weekend was do something for your mental health. Um, you have to promise me you're going to take a walk or you're going to read. Whatever you do for mental health, you need to do that. You have to get away from your tablets, away from your computer, uh, away from your homework and go take a walk or something. So fitness is, is also to unwind because mental health is so important as well.
0: Exactly. And a lot of people don't understand that physical fitness goes with your mental health. You have to have both in balance to be balanced yourself.
1: Exactly. And physical fitness, um, is great for reducing stress. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a, an attorney in the army, I had several clients on death row. I was representing them on death row and that's very stressful because you're constantly thinking, what can I do for them? Mm-hmm. you you know, every minute of the day is like, I should be working on their case. Um, and you can't, you, you, you will just get burned out. So, you know, every evening, um, I'd go for a run along the Han river, um, you know, in Seoul, Korea, just to unwind and, and just forget about things. Uh, and my next door neighbor at the time, he was in charge of all the negotiations between the North and the South. He was um, from South Korea and he'd be on the elevator with me headed to the river and he'd hit golf balls at night and I would run just <laughs> to unwind. You have to find something to unwind.
0: Exactly. I mean, I was never in the military, but my family's all military. Yes. So they can tell me, oh, we would Play golf, we would go throw the ball around, we'll go run, we'll go to the gym, we'll go to the shooting range just to do something not work related. Well, this yes. translates when you're studying for a career. Exactly. Doing law classes myself, I can tell you that's not easy. You yes. get burnt out really, really easy, especially when you get into constitutional law.
1: <laughs> I just taught that about an hour ago. <laughs>
0: Uh, I just finished my constitutional classes last year. So, but going through it, I was stressed out and you have to have this done and this done and this done for your classes and you're not taking time for yourself. Exactly. So understanding that, (laughs) understanding the mindset of a student going through law classes, you have to, regardless of what you're doing, take time for yourself mentally, physically, whatever you're doing, because both will come out in your work.
1: Exactly, and I tell that to my students all the time. I I say, you know, the semester's 14 weeks Mm -hmm. and you have to balance these 14 weeks. And I also tell them, listen, my class is not the most important thing in your life. You've got other classes, you got family members who may need your help. You've got yourself who you have to take care of. So make sure you do everything. Don't focus just on school because you'll be burned out in a month and you're not doing anybody any good.
0: Exactly. And then do law classes at night on top of working. You have yes. your family, you have your work, you have your schooling, you have your lessons. Then you have to take time to sit back and take 15 minutes to for something, for
1: yourself. Exactly. I, when I was in law school in the late 80s, everybody in the class had a job. The guy next to him was a New York City cop. the first time I ever saw a gun was in class because he had it on his ankle holster. Mm-hmm. And the first night of law school, I looked down, I see a gun, and I was like, don't let that thing go off. Um, and then, but we, there were 60 of us, and everybody had their family as well as law school. There was people during the semester had babies. Um, There are people who change jobs. Um, So night school is is challenging. um, And our teachers explained that to us. They said, listen, we know you have jobs, we know you have families, but remember, you got to take the same bar exam as everybody else. There's not a night school bar exam, day school bar exam. Um, Right.
0: It's all the same. And regardless of how you learn, it's all the same information. It's how you're learning it and making sure you're taking time to process it. Because if you're burnt out, you're not going to process anything.
1: Exactly, um, and you see that, and that's what I noticed a lot um, when I went to law school at night is we took the same amount of classes as the day students, just over a longer period of time, and they were in the library constantly, like, what are you studying? I mean, you know, I'm going to work all day, and I'm, and I'm you know, going to school, then I'm running at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, and um, mm-hmm. You know, you're in the library all the time. You, you're going to be burned out by October. And, and you see that a lot in, the, in law students is they just get burned out and they just don't like the reading anymore. It's, they say, I'm overwhelmed with the reading.
0: Mm-hmm. That's, it's not just law students. It's any student at all. You exactly. get to the point where my daughter's in um, design classes and she's overwhelmed by how much reading there is, but she loves to read and she's yes. burned out. She loves to do photography. Well, there's a lot of learning to do the technical stuff. You have to read. Well, you have to also take time to do something for yourself.
1: Exactly. Um, and that's why, um, you know, one time I was running with my boss in Germany and he says, because in the, in the military, you have to take a test every six months, push-ups, up, sit sit-ups and run. Um, and a lot of people almost do the, the physical training just to pass that test. And General Air said to me, he "said Kevin, the, the physical training has nothing to do with passing that test. It's for your mental and physical health. And you know that's. And I remember him telling me one morning at five o'clock in the morning that um, that you have. I mean, you have to be balanced. If you if you're not balanced, you you the house is going to come crumbling down.
0: Exactly. I mean, we see this when you come. I, I see a lot of veterans coming back from where they're stationed. It could be anywhere. My family's done this." If they're not balanced, if they're not finding balance, mental, physical, going back to work, whatever it is, they're never balanced. And regardless of what you tell them, they have to find the balance in their life.
1: Exactly, and coming back actually is an interesting point you bring up, because when you're deployed, you're working 15, 16 hours a day, um, and then coming home, it's a challenge to not be working 15, 16 hours a day. That, that almost seems... Odd to say, um, because coming home is not like a lifetime movie, <laughs> where everybody's hugging with tie a yellow River around the tree. Uh, you have to get used to being home, and you have to get used to being with your family again. That takes a little bit of time um, and effort, um, and you'll have to really, really, during that time period, you really need to unwind and, and start doing things again that you um, like to do. My, my friend Ray Jackson, um, he had been over um, in Iraq a few times, and every time He'd come back. I would take him to Great Falls Park in Virginia and we'd run along the Potomac River. And he's like, there's so many leaves. The water sounds so good. I'm like, yes, Ray, you need to do these things to get used to being back home.
0: Mm-hmm. It is. It's, we look at this as the veterans coming home. It's not a lifetime movie. I've seen a lot of my family members come back home. I've dealt with family members I haven't seen and then deal with them before the left and then years after they came back and it's not the same person because they haven't yet adjusted to being home
1: exactly and the stigma of getting help has been lifted a lot Mm -hmm. over the the past uh, few years Um, i remember when i was in germany general ham who's the commander of all of europe armed forces four-star general and he went into the Stripes, that's the army's newspaper and said listen my wife noticed I wasn't the same when I came back and I'm talking to people about it. And it lifted that stigma because a lot of times in the military, people think if I tell somebody I need help, it's a sign of weakness. And so I'm I'm just going to handle it myself Mm -hmm. and you can't handle it yourself. So the stigma has been raised a lot in the past 10 years where people will seek help, which they probably did not do, do in the past.
0: No, they didn't. I can tell you my dad was a Korean war vet. He didn't seek help until the day he passed away, yes. <laughs> you know, but that's the stigma back from then to now. And yeah, then exactly. you have, you know, my grandparents, grandfathers were both uh, world war II, And it's just, you don't talk about it. Well now we are talking about it and we're finding exercising, doing uh, marathons, even if it's the handicapped marathon, yes. you're doing something to be back in the moment.
1: Exactly. Yes. Um, and it was something we were always attuned to, You know, right before I retired, when somebody was at work and they seemed to be a little bit off, I'd always talk to their supervisor and say, listen, where was he or she? What did they see when they were deployed? We need to talk to that person. So as supervisors, we're always attuned to, to watch out for signals of people who needed to talk to somebody.
0: Well, that's awesome that's being done now. <laughs> yes. I mean, I can't, like I said, I can't say what happened 30 years ago, but in the last 10 years, there's been a lot of growth.
1: Exactly, yes. And it's needed, because I, I think not just in the military, I think in society, people are hand, talking more about mental health. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the elementary schools, um, social emotional is a big part of the elementary schools, because mm-hmm. um, I substitute teach some days at elementary schools. And this uh, the, the schools do a wonderful job now. When I went to school, that was never even talked about. I mean, it was math. English, history, you know, memorize your things, all those kind of things. Now, social emotional is a huge part of the school's curriculum, elementary school, middle school, high school. Um, and this was even before the pandemic that the schools were starting to get involved with the student's social emotional health.
0: Which is needed. How many times have we seen in the last 10 years of student under the age of 16 commit suicide? This exactly. is why we have put this into teaching now it's needed
1: exactly
0: we cannot let our children continue to be mentally shut down and think that killing themselves at the age of eight or nine is acceptable
1: exactly and it's wonderful that the student the schools are doing this now at the elementary school level Mm -hmm. so they're learning at age five and six that it's okay to talk to somebody Where, where when i grew up it was like you're a boy don't cry um, suck it up um, deal with it and that was back in the 60s and 70s and now age five and six they're learning it. it's okay to go see the the school mental health expert that's acceptable um, which is wonderful because then that'll be their mindset the rest of their life
0: we have to start young I say this all the time we have to start a babies, young learning stuff we yes. want them to learn from Four to six is when they're little sponges. Everything they need to know, is going to be taught then. We teach them to talk to people, not be afraid of you know, what's going on and open their mouths. They're going to be carrying them into adulthood.
1: Exactly, yes.
0: I, I'm, I talk with my hands a lot. so That's okay,
1: <laughs> that's not a problem at all.
0: Um, but this is things that we are teaching everyone. We teach our military now coming back, we need to talk to people, we need to go for that run, we need to go for that hike, we need to get in touch with nature, you know, we talk about, oh, we, let's do our physical health, you know, but physical isn't just physical, physical is also mental.
1: Yes, yes, it's, it's all combined, especially, yeah, I'm very fortunate that I have, you know, great trails and rivers to run near, mm-hmm. so when I'm outside in nature, I mean, it's not a chore i mean a lot of times people because growing up remember running was punishment <laughs> in gym class if you you know weren't doing good go run a lap so it was kind of seen as punishment um and you also hear people talk you know you never hear about somebody going to play a marathon like they play tennis but they don't play a game of marathon um so sometimes running people think oh it's just drudgery it's boring um, but when you're outside in the woods, time, you forget time, and you just see things. You you hear bullfrogs. You hear the woodpeckers in the winter, um, so you get to actually connect with nature again.
0: I love being able to travel right now and going to the different parks and different states and seeing and hearing things that I normally wouldn't if I'm just home, Yes, and that helps me get back mentally where I need to be, regardless if I'm working on my business, if I'm going to go study today, if whatever I'm doing, taking that hour or two hours in nature resets my mindset for everything else.
1: Exactly. Like this, you know, the, we just went back this past week to school and we were online right now. So we had to do the adjustments. We had to adjust from in person in the fall, then pivot this, this past winter break to online for a couple weeks. We'll be back in person soon. Um, But, you know, there's extra work with online because you have to do all the planning and things like that. Um, And now I'm grading papers again. So sometimes I just like, I just got to go to the canal and go run. And then I feel fine after about 30 or 40 minutes.
0: Exactly. And that's what it is, is we do the marathons for not only our physical health, but for mental health, we do go, we get called being nuts because we go in 30, 30 degree weather
1: right. to
0: the parks and go for a hike or a walk or whatever we're doing at the park. Right. It's not just because we need to be there for, you know, the beauty, but we're changing our mindset from whatever is
1: going on. Exactly. Because, you know, when I'm, you know, engaged in school and, and grading papers and reading emails, um, it's a lot of stuff. and I cannot be like that when Heather and Cam come home from school, you know, cause he's 11 and he expects me as soon as he comes home from school, he wants a snack. Um, and Heather gets home a little bit later. I got to get dinner ready. So I can't go from wound up with school to all of a sudden giving him pretzels. I need that time in between where I can go exercise and it doesn't have to be run. A lot of times I'll just go for a walk, you know, mm-hmm. down on the Cno Canal, the Chesapeake, Ohio Canal, just go for a walk. And it's that time just away from the computer, away from everything, away from the phone. Uh, You can unwind and then you're ready to, um, you know, do everything you have to do with your family.
0: Right. Now that we have the first book out going into everything you can do wrong, getting training, are you going to write a second book?
1: I'm thinking about it. Uh, A lot of my book um, is not really just about running because I tie in different stories along the way. Uh, a lot about my dad, um, you know, who did not run, um, but he kind of motivated us um, to challenge ourselves. For instance, um, when I asked him why there was no bridge from Connecticut to Long Island, he said, we'll find out by swimming it. So me and my brother had to swim 14 miles. Um, another time when I was watching the Olympics when I was nine, I said, how is that person running 26 miles? He said, go sign up for a marathon to find out. So he kind of always challenged us um so the book is a lot of the humorous things about him um and he passed away but my stepmom she just read it and she said she was crying the whole way because he kept reminding her of different stories so um my whole life people always said to me you should write a book um about different things either you know because I've got a lot of stories about my clients some things I can't say because of attorney-client privilege right um but people always said to me you should write a book so I'm I'm thinking of writing another one just about growing up on Long Island in the 60s, 70s in a family of 10 kids. And oh all the so all the funny stories that entails, um, you know, timed fire drills in the middle of the night, um, you know, things my dad had to do. But when he wakes you up at two in the morning and you have to climb out a window, um, you're kind of annoyed. But looking <laughs> back, you wanted to make sure if there was a problem with the house, we got out OK. Um so I was thinking about doing one of those because um, a lot of the um, the book is almost a tribute to my dad in a mm-hmm. way, uh, and so I'm thinking about maybe doing another one along those lines.
0: That, I think doing one that has more of your childhood growing up, especially with 10 kids. You don't hear too many families with 10 kids.
1: <laughs> but to me, that doesn't seem odd. I mean, maybe because I'm used to it. Um so I couldn't imagine anything else. I, I just always imagine lots of people um, so in, a, in our I, I house. I
0: understand. I understand. My fiance has uh, four siblings with mom and another three siblings with dad. So I'm yes. like, okay, we have lots of people. Where yes. me, I have me, I have my adopted sister and then I have siblings that were older that I'd never dealt with. Yes. So it's just a mindset of, That's a lot of kids. Well, when you get all together, it doesn't seem like it.
1: Exactly. I I still remember, you know, dinner table. I mean, we had to use picnic benches and things, um, but that seems normal. And, you know, we had four boys in one room, four girls in another room, two in another room. um, And now I see, you know, kids like get their own bedroom. (laughs) And it's like I couldn't even imagine that.
0: I'm understanding that because. My house that I grew up in was with the house my mother grew up in with five kids in the house. Yes. So it was a different mindset of me going up in the same house as her when she had all the siblings home. Right.
1: But
0: But. at the same time, we have fire drills. We have, (laughs) oh, how do we get out of this window? And then when you're a teenager, oh, I know how to get out of this window.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, other reasons. We, my, my dad used to make it a competition. Um, I remember one time my brother jumped out of the second story window to set the family record. Um, and He landed in our garden um, and he said, nobody's going to do that faster than me. <laughs> so we're a very competitive family.
0: I, I, I can't say I would ever jump out of a second story window, but OK. <laughs> yes.
1: Well, we had a garden down below and it was kind of soft landing and he was teeny. So. He's fine, you but, that um, that
0: would make a wonderful story in a book yes, I, because a lot of us don't fathom jumping out of a story window for anything because you know a lot of us live in uh, apartments or you know there's concrete down there, not just something soft to land on, yes. but at the same time, you go to a different mindset and go, "Oh, that sounds really." awesome maybe (laughs) yes
1: but but I'd love to write again the writing came pretty easily Mm -hmm. um the book only took me 10 days to write oh wow Uh, and that was that was not 10 full days because I got to take cam to the pool and things so it was in the summer Mm -hmm. so I'd write um about two hours in the morning five hours in the afternoon I did that for 10 straight days and then it was done um because I think with my job I was used to writing you know I, Mm -hmm. i I one time we wrote 536 page um, brief for the Supreme court for a death penalty case. I'm kind of, I was used to writing, but I had to kind of change my style. I mean, I had to go from legalese um, to something more engaging for the reader. Um, but the oh, yeah. actual writing was not that difficult.
0: No, when you're doing a 500 page brief, you have to be all technical, all punctuation, everything has to be perfect. Every I yes. dotted. you know, when you're writing for, someone to read it for enjoyment your entire style is different
1: exactly so i had to um take out all the legalese um and i I think the first draft was a little bit too dense and i had to kind of um power down a little bit on it
0: but that's okay you're learning your voice as an author versus your voice as a lawyer
1: exactly yes
0: and there are a lot of lawyers that go back and forth now you're doing a nonfiction book. Now, if imagine going to do a fictional book, you would have to change that completely different.
1: Yes. I once um, actually in law school, I had thought about doing a fictional book and I got about a page because I really hadn't thought through the whole process. Mm-hmm. Um, plus law school and working was a lot. Yeah. Um, but I was just so happy to be able to write this summer because I would think about it the night before and then put my fingers on the keypad pad the next morning.
0: That's the best way to do it. I mean, I thought I was good at writing a book in 30, but you know, you wrote yours in 10, so yes. I give you props on that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but we have these books out. What is the name of the book?
1: Oh, I don't the think book is talking. called um, Going the Distance, Tales and Tips from Six Decades of Marathons. And it's- It's a mouthful. <laughs> and what I did was, because um, I've done a marathon in every decade since the 70s. Um, mm-hmm. I had kind of stopped in the 2010s. And then in March of 2020, before the pandemic, I was going for a walk with Cam and he was nine at the time. And he was kind of asking questions about, hey, how far are we going to walk? How far can people walk? Because they're at that age where they're looking at the world bigger. So I said, well, I did this thing called a marathon. He started talking to me. And he goes, hey, you did one in every decade. You have to do one in the 2020s. So I was like, oh, so I had to kind of get in shape to do another one. So in the book, I focused on one marathon per decade um, to kind of talk about what the race was like, how the marathon has changed over the years from the 1970s when it was $2 to enter a marathon, the medal was about the size of a quarter. Now it's $200 to enter a marathon, there's 30,000 people, Um, you get a mega medal. So I kind of talked how the marathon has changed um, and each and I picked one marathon per decade to kind of talk about the marathon itself, like what the city of Seoul was like, what the city of Honolulu was like, kind of a tour guide as well. Um, and I kind of wrote it in the style of Bryson's Walk in the Woods, mm-hmm. um, kind of when he, when he talked about the Appalachian Trail and kind of overestimated it. So I talk about sometimes when I've kind of overestimated um, the marathon. And then for the cover, um, I used, uh, I got a character artist. Uh, To kind of make it a funny picture instead of just a bland picture of running, Um, I don't know if this shows up on. This is going the distance, and that's my dad and me, and that's in 1970. And my dad handing me a can of Coke um, because back then there was no such thing as Gatorade, (laughs) so he he gave me Coca Cola. Um, You know that was the hydration back then. So the marathon kind of the book kind of chases traces how the marathons changed. and it's not like um, Dirty Dancing. At the end of Dirty Dancing, they're all sad that everything changed. Mm-hmm. Here, i um, saying it's changed, but it was good then. It's good now. Think, things change in life. You can't mm-hmm. say it was so much better back then because then your life's going to be miserable today. You have to adjust <laughs> as the world changes. Mm-hmm.
0: Change happens every day and every aspect of life, regardless if we want it to or not. Yes. We can't say, oh, it was better here than it is here. There's some things that are better in the past, only because that's how we perceive them.
1: Exactly. So you you have to, every single morning, you have to wake up and say, this is going to be the best day ever. You can't live in the past. You had a great time in the past. You have great memories, but they're over. You have to move forward.
0: Yesterday is gone. Today is a new day. You can't live your life for yesterday.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: You can't live your life worrying about the test that you might have failed three days ago and you're waiting for the grade.
1: Exactly. I always tell my students, I say, there's certain things you can control, certain things you can't control. So just worry about what you can control. And I always use the expression, stay in your lane. When you're driving a car, you worry about what's in your lane. You don't worry about every other, you got to keep an eye on the other lanes, but you have to focus driving in your lane. Don't worry about you know, the other cars, unless they're gonna hit you, but focus on your lane.
0: Yeah. We only worry about the cars, what they're doing if it's something an immediate danger to you. Yes. Other exactly. than that, you don't have to worry about what Sally's doing over here or what Jimmy's doing over there.
1: A- exactly. And even at the and I noticed that in the when I substitute teach at elementary school. I mean, the kids love to say, well, Sally, you know, she's not doing this right. She's using a red crane instead of a blue. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, Susan, focus on your coloring and and we'll let Sally worry about her coloring.
0: Yeah, as a mother, when my daughter was in school, I actually had an argument with the teacher because my daughter used a red pencil to fill in the answers instead of a regular pencil. I'm like, wait, is the answers right? We had an argument over yes, are the answers right? I don't care what she wrote in. Are the answers right?
1: Exactly. Yes. A form of a substance.
0: Yes. I'm like, I don't care what she wrote in. Yes.
1: Uh,
0: Why why do I have to say, here's a pencil? You told her use a pencil. She technically did. (laughs) Right. So
1: And the other thing I I loved about my book, because it goes back so many years um, and it's relatable to every age group, Mm because it's got if you're a high school runner, it can give you tips for high school. If you're a college runner or if you're an older runner. Um, But I've been able to reconnect with so many people because people said, um, you know, because Facebook is wonderful now. Mm -hmm. So I told my high school Facebook page, hey, I have this book out, um, these different groups and also people I hadn't heard from from years Hey, how you doing? Tell me what's happening in your life. So it was also a chance to reconnect with people, um, you know, because moving around for 30 years in the Army, um, you meet wonderful people. Um, but you can't connect. Exactly. And, and especially, you know, you know, you know, there's some people who live in their hometown and that's mm-hmm. and, and, and wonderful. Um, but I left my hometown to go in the Army. But now I've been able to reconnect with people I went to high school with and things like that.
0: Yes, that, that is one thing when you become an author or you connect on social medias that you get to connect with everyone from your past. And it's wonderful. Yes. Or you can just say, I don't want to talk to you. And there's a little button that's called block.
1: Yes, <laughs> but, but sometimes when you write a book about yourself, you have, it's a little, you're a little bit vulnerable mm-hmm. and you're opening yourself up. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I was concerned about that a little bit. Um, cause you're telling some kind of personal things about yourself or about, now I, I made sure, you know, I, I would mention my family, but you know, always in a positive light. Yeah. Um, but you know, my, you open yourself up, like, yeah, I talk about, you know, the first time I got drunk in high school, <laughs> um, Oops. You know, after, a marathon, <laughs> after my marathon and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you open yourself up and now you, you know, people you know read that stuff so you, you just have to be aware that when you write about yourself you're, you know, you're opening the door and people can see things.
0: Very true. but with that in mind, where can our audience find you?
1: Oh, um, my book is on Amazon and Barnes and Noble um, and you know yeah, those are the two places it is right now. And, and my plan is also to, um, I'm going to be going and talking at Marathon Expos, like when there's a marathon beforehand, they have an expo where you have to get your number, they have speakers and they have different products for sale. So I'll be going around to Marathon Expo speaking and also have my book there as well. But Amazon and Barnes and Noble right now. Awesome.
0: It was so good having you on the show today.
1: All right. Well, thank you for having me.
0: And thank you very much for your service. Well, thank you. And for all of our listeners and our viewers, happy reading.